0: It's tough to find a social media outlet that does not censor points of view that run contrary to the woke culture that has so infected the Western world. But Jay, I understand that there's one outlet that allows, even encourages a full and honest discussion of the most important issues of the day.
1: Yes, Tom, this is really new to me. I'm almost embarrassed that I was not aware of it to use it because, you know, I grew up learning that at least half the stuff on the internet is garbage. You really can't trust anything. Even Wikipedia, I mean, it's uncensored and people put junk on it. And so it's been working with uh, a colleague of mine, Tarigi Ciccioni, that I learned about this uh, web platform Quora, which in Latin means inquiry, where you can really get solid information from uh, experts. You can ask anything you want, and all kinds of different topics. And I spend three or four hours a day doing research for my writing, and and I'm so excited about using it more in the the future. Terry Ciccioni has been using it for a long time, and he volunteers a couple hours a day of his time to answer questions from people all over the world. One of the most amazing things about it, the website will translate Anything from one language to another language, uh, which is amazing. I think they use uh, artificial intelligence to do that. It's really astounding. So, Tom, go ahead and uh, introduce Terry to our audience.
0: Yeah, sure. Our guest today is Tarigi, or Terry, Chichoni, author, painter, engineer, and science enthusiast. Tarigi is the author of the 2020 book, along with you, Jay, A Hitchhiker's Journey Through Climate Change. This book is the best possible source for parents and grandparents to explain climate change reality to their children. Terici was born in Italy, but immigrated to the United States in 1956 and is now based in Sarasota, Florida. He's the founder president of Info Alliance LLC, a firm of industry experts specializing in advanced high-tech startup companies. Terry has a bachelor of science in engineering, a master's of science from Northwestern University, He's a graduate from General Electric's three-year manufacturing, management, and technical marketing programs. He's a recipient of many managerial MVP and innovation awards. Terry has 40 years' experience in gas turbine technologies for aviation and power generation, oil and gas industries, and on and on. And it's quite interesting, quite uh, relevant to events today. Terici was responsible for Italian production and delivery of turbines and compressors for the first-ever Russian European gas pipeline. So, welcome to the show, Terici.
3: Thank you. Happy to be here again.
1: I am so excited. I met Terry first when he sought some assistance from me in writing the book, A Hitchhiker's Journey Through Climate Change. Uh, he came with, to me with a manuscript of about 180 pages. And a year and a half later, when it went to press, I think it was 387 pages. But then we wrote a series of articles from the book, and he's just been a wealth of knowledge for me because his uh, engineering experience and knowledge is certainly greater than mine, so I'm, I'm always uh, learning something. But learning about Quora, this uh, web platform, which means inquiry, has been a boon to me, and I will be using it probably daily, maybe not so much as he contributes his knowledge to it, but as a source of knowledge for me. I know it's a very popular website, a place to get information, but I'm guessing that half of our audience is not familiar with it. And once they learn about it from this program and and later from our podcast, and I'm going to write the whole program up actually in in print at America Out Loud as well, I think they'll find it a resource they'll get a lot of use out of. So Terry, uh, give us a summary of what Quora is.
3: Well, first, I want to make sure that everybody understands that this is not a paid infomercial, okay? What I'm sharing is an excellent source of information. But, you know, you mentioned that Quora was a secret. Yeah, but it's one of the uh, fastest growing websites in the world. And uh, when we look at the top 100 most visited websites, it ranks 80th. And it gets, you know, upwards of 630, 650 million views every month. And each view takes up to two or three pages. But most importantly, here's here's an industry term. It has a 69% bounce rate. This is extremely important because, for example, I... I can ask Alexa. I can ask Siri. I can type in a Google search bar a question, and sixty-nine percent of the time, a Quora will be listed there with one or more several websites where you can go for the answers, and that's amazing.
1: Well, what kind of uh, people offer <laughs> to be experts for free, and how do they qualify? I know it's something that you do, in fact, I hope to participate in the future, but how do people find out or desire to be experts on the platform and what do they have to do to qualify as an expert?
3: Well, essentially to be a responder, you have to belong to at least one uh, space. That's the term that they use for uh, subject related websites. So, for example, climate change, engineering, science, etc. So you're required to fill in a rather detailed uh, bio of yourself, your education levels, uh, your work-related experience, your life-related experience. And then it's up to the owner of that space to let you in or not.
1: All right. So if I want to ask a question, I go to the website and I choose a subject and I ask a question on it. Does it automatically go to the right place on the site where an expert would see it and respond to me? And do I have to say who I am or why I want to know?
3: Well, no. In fact, uh, Quora encourages specific uh, personal handles, you know, nom de plume, People feel most comfortable when they can't be tracked back down by whoever. So I think that is an absolute positive.
1: So you can be anonymous. I suppose you could tell who you are and why if you wanted to. But the fact that you can get information without divulging why you want it, and then you can analyze the person who responds to you and decide, In your mind, uh, they're qualified or not. Let's say I ask a question, something to do with climate change, and uh, an expert with a good resume responds to me, and I don't agree with what they tell me. Would a conversation start?
3: Yeah, that question will be sent to a number of subject matter experts. You know, we call them responders. And you may end up getting two, three, five, ten different replies from uh, various responders. The question will go to a number of different people that have been identified as being subject matter experts on the subject. So you know, I may go back with an answer that says red and somebody else may come back with an answer that says purple. Now, one of the beautiful things about this, is that the questioner can come back and say, hey, you said this, but Joe Smith said that, how do you reconcile the two? So it can also be the the start of um, of a discussion and further inquiry. So the person does not get one response. Chances are they will get multiple responses from different responders.
0: Mm-hmm. I should just give people the web page address. It's www.quora.com. Www.quora, and I'm on it right now. It looks fantastic.
3: Yeah, to, just to cool. access it, go to any web page, go to any uh, taskbar, just type in quora.com, and it puts a page in front of you basically asking, What do you want to do? Do you want to ask a question? Uh, do you want to make a statement? And, you know, there's also a search bar where you can enter the subject in quite detail. I think what's made the growth exponential, especially in the past year, is their artificial intelligence. It is incredible, not only at tracking individual questioners, individual responders, subject matter. I mean language you can switch from one language well I don't even need to worry about because for example Quora has different centers all over the world so if I live in Italy and I'm used to communicating in Italian I go to the Italian version of Quora ask my question in Italian okay now since I put myself down as being capable in both French and Italian, those questions will reach to me in the original Italian or Mm -hmm. French. And I will respond to them either in English because I am more technically competent in that, or I can uh, respond to them in French or Italian. I believe that most of the questions they receive and that are sent to uh, the U.S. Center are automatically translated from about 130, 140 different languages into English. And I will respond to them in English, having a normal conversation in English. And the text that reaches them will be in English. But by one or two clicks, if they want to read it in their native language, they can do so. I mean, the AI is incredible.
1: Well, Now you mentioned artificial intelligence. I don't think Well, there's nobody in our audience that hasn't heard of artificial intelligence, but I think there are an awful lot of people that don't understand exactly what it is. In as few sentences as possible, how is the Quora platform using artificial intelligence to do all the amazing things you just
3: described? Well, essentially what artificial intelligence does is it pretends it has a a huge staff of brilliant people that can speak in any different language at the same time, tracking specific codes to follow the individual, their their interest levels, their proclivities, et cetera, and can do so extremely uh, cheaply. You say
1: cheaply. This endeavor just sounds incredibly expensive. I mean, what
3: supports it? Well, it's the engineering and the algorithms that are built into their processes. It's no different than, uh, for example, my wife's business of renting boats. The huge investments are not so much in people servicing each individual questioner, but building the algorithms and the intelligence into the system that can provide that very cost effectively. Instead of having a thousand people waiting online to address a particular individual and follow his interests and stuff like that, it can be artificially done by uh, computers in seconds and at very affordable levels. Yeah, it requires a huge investment upfront in technology, but it really pays off big time in the services delivered. What year did it start? I don't know. know. Uh, I first approached it three years ago and initially it was a little more awkward, you know, but uh, I've seen dramatic, dramatic improvements especially in the last year.
1: Well, you also said, I might ask a question, I might get 10 answers. Might I also get no answers?
3: Yes, yeah. Now, for example, you know there's a lot of people that ask dumb questions. Now, let me talk about dumb questions. Most people are turned off by dumb questions. So they may get few responses. You know, I can take a question that's been asked of Quora, search on it, and I can immediately find all of the responses that were given to that question and identify the individuals, you know, the contributors, Who says it? Now, for example, if I want to argue a point, I may contact that guy through the question and ask him to validate his statement. You know, how how dare you say this when data shows that? And the original questioner is privy to that line of uh, questioning. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the most beautiful things about it is that it isn't you type in a question, you get an answer, you don't, and that's it, that's the end. No, it can be the start of uh, a dissertation, uh, a validation, an argument, if you will, with, you know, one person saying red, another person saying yellow, and the questioner is privy to all of this discussion. I think that's fabulous.
0: Oh, it mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Yeah. Very different Facebook and others that censor Uh, you.
1: (laughs) I'm embarrassed to say, well, I don't use Facebook and I don't use social media, but I use a number of different platforms to get answers that uh, I would say historically in the work I've been doing for decades, uh, probably the validity of the answers I get is uh, not going to be as good as what I'm going to get in the future now, that uh, Quora is going to be a main place uh, for me to find information. Any idea how large the audience of what you call responders is? I mean, are we talking
3: hundreds, thousands of people? Probably more in the thousands, because it covers everything from soup to nuts. Like, for example, I ran a test on it in preparation for this discussion, and I asked it was on a Google webpage, and I asked how to boil a potato. You know, what can be more <laughs> benign than that? And the next thing, you know, I got several dozen websites that could help me get that answer. And goodness gracious, half of them were Quora. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing.
1: I believe you had told me earlier that you're spending a couple hours a, a day on it. As a uh, a volunteer, which is wonderful, how did you get involved? And I mean, you've really committed yourself to something wonderful. How did that come about?
3: Well, first of all, let's talk about the commitment. You know, my book actually started out as a, a PhD thesis. And then a friend of mine said, Don't waste your time with the hollow titles. Why don't you just write a book about it? And the reason that I was convinced to work with you and go with the book and specially gear it to the young people is because these are the people that have been the most uh, brainwashed by our educational system, by the popular media, by the newspapers, by Facebook and everybody else. So, and these are the people that are going to be running the country, you know, next year, five years from now, 10 years from now, our old farts are going to be gone and they're going to be in charge of the world and they're going to be in charge of how my children and grandchildren's lives are shaped. So this is the passion that fuels me. It's not that I limit myself to two hours a day. I try to limit myself to two hours a day, but the passion is there. You know, I may decide, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and at uh, one o'clock in the afternoon so I can only work on Quora for this window. I may find myself, I end up blowing the gym. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's passion driven. It's, yeah. uh, and you can tell from uh, a number of other highly respected uh, responders that they're driven by the sense of passion, that they have a purpose, a societal saving purpose, for God's sakes, to try to reach these people that have been brainwashed.
0: Mm -hmm. And when you were saying it's everything from soup to nuts, you know, you're not kidding. I'm on on the homepage of Quora.com right now. And the first question is being answered by a lawyer concerning if your kid is bullying my kid and my kid has told you to stop and your kid doesn't, my kid is being instructed to punch your kid in the face. What are your thoughts on this? And then he tells a story about teachers not enforcing their anti-bullying rules and the student has to eventually stand up for themselves. And so, yeah, lots and lots of topics way beyond, you know, climate and energy and things like that.
3: Yeah, I, I, like I said, it, and it's not moderated except for vulgarity, for insulting people gratuitously, etc. No, it's a, it's a wonderful open forum. Now, there are some forums that are closed. Like, for example, you know, some forums have a no-fly zone. So, for example, there's one space that's called Fighting Climate Change Deniers. So any questions that are asked, that reach me, that went through that website will be blocked. The algorithms or the individual uh, space owners just put my name on the no-fly list. And, And that's good. It gives those people the safe space they want to feel comfortable with. I think, you know, it's great. Everybody can find their level of comfort.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny you said something that struck a chord uh, with Tom and I. Tom and I are passionate about our work and every bit is passionate about fitness and exercise. And I have the same trouble you have. You wanted to go to the gym, but you were involved in answering questions and uh, you might miss your workout. I don't think we ever miss our workout, but Tom might be 11 o'clock at night before he gets to it. I'm the luckiest person in the world. I love my work as I love my exercise. And I decided, you know, 60 years ago that in order to keep working and enjoying it, I had to stay fit. So I really uh, understand that dilemma. Sometimes you, you're so involved and you don't want to, uh, to give it up.
3: What, what I wanted to interject here is, is the willingness and eagerness to learn. And I'm a prime example of that or a victim of that. Take your choice. Like, for example, after you and I finished publishing that book, I thought I knew everything there was to know about climate change. And the next thing you know, I get a question that makes me scratch my head. So now I have to go research that. I mean, I don't have to, but I feel, holy cannolis, Is something I hadn't thought about. So it's a continuous education process for me, as much as it is a sharing of knowledge I have with others.
1: Well, you just gave me an idea that I had never thought of. And uh, I think Tom would appreciate this. Tom and I have been doing this show for a year and a half. We have uh, only had a very few uh, people that we've had on more than once. We've been very fortunate in finding people like yourself that have knowledge that we don't have, that our listeners don't have. But it occurs to me, if we move through Quora and, and look at a lot of the topics and the answers, there are probably quite a, a number of responders that would make very good guests on our show. What do you think about that, Tom?
3: I think that's a great idea. I agree. There are a couple of guys from uh, NASA, retired, and, and are no longer dependent on their paychecks, they they have a tremendous knowledge of all the shenanigans that has been going on in fudging data at NASA and NOAA, for example.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess you saw just, re- just recently on July 20th, that was the first International Moon Day. And uh, it's ironic that Joe Biden said nothing about it, even though, of course, it was celebrating the first uh, moon landing, of course, the greatest technological achievement in mankind's history. And and yet the president of the country that did that said nothing about the moon landing. Instead, he talked about, you know, the dangers of global warming. And it's ironic, you know, Terry and Jay, that there are many Apollo astronauts who've actually spoken out against the scare, saying that it's just simply a hoax. It's just not true at all. And yet here we have Joe Biden using International Moon Day to talk about climate change, <laughs>
3: Well, I suppose we'll let Joe be Joe and choose whatever yeah. ice cream well, he wants today
0: <laughs>
1: I think Joe Biden is the greatest asset uh, we have in this country to uh, uh turn things around and get on the the right track and I say it about every week that the November midterm election is going to be the primary data point to show that people are woken up to the the absurdity of what uh, this administration is and what you just said about Mr. Biden, who's a puppet that others pull the strings. I have no idea who they are. I'm sure Obama, Soros and other people like that. but uh...
3: Jay, don't go over that so quickly. These are the highly connected people that have monetized this hoax. you know Look at it this way, Jay. there are humongous personal financial interests aligned here that feed off of this CO2 trough. And it starts with the universities, Harvard, MIT, name your best university. They get millions and millions of dollars each year. This past year, 2021, it's estimated that the US government funded almost $30 billion a year for university research. And these universities, you know, they skim the 20, 25% off the top and flow the money down to their participants. Now, if you want a grant and you want to prove how CO2 has impacted the purple, pink polka dot spider, you'll get your (laughs) grant. But if you want to show that CO2 does not generate any atmospheric heat, you're not going to get a penny. So you got those people. Then you have the people involved in the influence, you know, the Al Gores. How do you think Obama made the millions that allowed him to buy that property on Nantucket? He got into the carbon exchange, which is just a way of wealth transfer from the poor to the rich and well-connected. And then you have the whole CO2 claptrap industry, whether it's windmills or solar panels or a carbon capture and uh, sequestering. There's billions spent each year in this industry. And now mm-hmm. they want to spend even more to capture more carbon out of the air or you know, re-engineering of the earth to save it. it, it it's money-making. It's got mm-hmm. nothing to do with science and it's got nothing to do with doing right for the planet which, by the way, the best thing we can do for the planet is just ignore it because it's so finely tuned and well-balanced. And what we think we're doing is just transferring wealth from group A to group
0: B. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, Patrick Michaels, who was a former professor at University of Virginia, very intelligent fellow, uh, head of the American Association of Climatologists, he just passed away in the past week, which is sad. But yeah. he said that what's being replaced, the fragile Earth sort of hypothesis is being replaced by a new mantra. And that is robust Earth. That, in mm-hmm. fact, the Earth is much tougher than what the environmentalists think. And were it not, we would have runaway greenhouse Uh, warming from methane or whatever when it was much warmer in the past. There's no
3: such thing, Tom, I don't want to contradict you, but there's no such thing as greenhouse warming. Let's get Mm -hmm. that straight right off the bat. There's never been a single laboratory scientific test performed in the 150 years that this idea, I don't even want to call it a theory, that this idea of CO2 caused global warming uh, ever been done.
0: Mm -hmm. Never. What what do you think, though, of Patrick's idea that we really have a robust Earth, not a fragile planet?
3: Oh,
1: oh, oh, there's no question about it. The Earth is so resilient. The people that are making the billions that Terry described moments ago do not care about the science. It's all about the money. It's all about uh, power. And what we have learned, really, through history and the increase in carbon dioxide, and the reduction of drought and storms, everything they say about the earth being coming worse for its population is exactly the opposite. The earth is amazingly resilient. The other thing I, I want to point out is a little bit off to the side, but people think of nature as wonderful and man as terrible. Nature has basically one intent, and that's to kill man. Uh, nature is very terrible. Survival of the fittest. Survival of the The technology we have been building for a long time is actually to protect us through nature. And that's proven historically. We live longer because we can manage and adapt to the things that nature wants to do. To us. We all love nature. We all love being outdoors. God, I live in a forest, but uh, I don't want to go too far afield and sleep in that forest without protection from the, the critters well. that are there, the storms that might come, and, and so on. So people have the wrong idea. We want to en- enjoy nature, but we've got to protect ourselves from it.
3: And there's a lot of deception about the nature of nature. And that's the reason I'm so proud that uh, I just resigned from uh, the Sierra Club of uh, Mohawk Valley, up state New York, the day after i joined
0: sorry to interrupt but we have to go for a break right now <laughs> we'll be right back with Deriki cicconi author painter engineer and science enthusiast so stay tuned right after the break
2: in 2008 the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science backed nootropics to sharpen focus. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the pulverone iodine-based nasal spray, CoFix Rx.
1: They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and
2: coronaviruses. CoFix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com
1: and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD.
2: Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next.
0: Yeah, so here we are back with Tarigi Ciccone, author, painter, engineer, and science enthusiast. Thariji, you were talking about whether or not the planet is really as fragile as environmentalists would have us believe.
3: It's not fragile at all. It's as tough as nails. It's been, I hate to use the word designed, but it's been engineered to have so many self-adjusting mechanisms. Like, for example, suppose the sun has a 20, 30-year warm period like we did from the 1970s until about 2000, okay? Okay. So the planet got hotter. What did the planet do? The planet evaporated, you know, because it's warmer, it evaporates more of the ocean water into water vapor. They become clouds. Clouds provide an umbrella that reflect more of the sun's energy away from the earth, and it has a moderating effect. There are many such moderating mechanisms because Essentially, like I said, the earth is designed to be in balance. Uh, One other point you made, Jay, that I want to elaborate on. A lot of people, for example, think of nature as a perfect state that humanity can only screw up. And that is so wrong. Alex Epstein really did a fabulous job in his book on explaining this. So people want to imagine that they go out to nature they go to their favorite local stream and start drinking it. No, nature provides essentially filthy water, maybe someplace in Northern Scandinavia, but even in Northern Scandinavia, you got to know who's peed in the river. You know, was it the bear or is it whatever animals? So what we do need is human-made engineering systems, and that needs Fossil fuels, which takes nature's water, nature's air, and cleans it. And that requires energy. Yeah. Energy is what we need for a clean environment. Look at any of the most beautiful countries on earth today. Germany, Switzerland, France. Pick your country. They are very high consumers of electricity because it's energy that keeps our environment clean and safe. Another example of this is wildfires, for example. California has a huge problem with wildfires because the quote conservationists took over the forest management services. Instead of cleaning out the dead debris from forests, they insist, oh, let nature take care of it. Well. Yeah, nature will eventually take care of it. But for the years that it takes for nature to take care of it, that's just fuel for the fires. In fact, in uh, later November, I'm going to be giving a presentation to the uh, Louisiana chapter of the U.S. Forestry Service to talk about that in greater detail.
1: Alex was our guest just last week, and he was terrific. And we uh, talked more about his new book. You mentioned one of his books about stating the title. His first book was a, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuel, and his second book now is a 420-page tome I'm working my way through, which is called Fossil Future. Which one were you referring to?
3: The Moral Case, because okay, he made yeah, such a fabulous. powerful argument about the well-being of humanity being tied to fossil fuels. You know, Take a look at the deaths from uh, climate extremes. It's dropped like 95% in the last 100 years. Why? Because we're able to heat our homes and people don't freeze in them. Because you know, we are able to provide the electricity to run the air conditioning machines. Uh, we have the energy to plow the, uh, the streets clean and food can be distributed and people can go to hospitals. So we need fossil fuels. Actually, we need all fuels, nuclear, especially nuclear, my goodness gracious, to, to save lives.
1: Well, you've mentioned the fact that money drives so much of the total uh, waste of resources. you have any other ideas of why there are uh, such lobbies of literally evil people that are trying to turn back our standard of living a century or of more by not wanting fossil fuels and wanting undependable, unreliable wind and solar, which are terrible at every level. Any any comment about other motivations other than money?
3: In my responses to Quora, I make it a point to shy away from the politics and the money as much as possible. But, yeah, that is the driving mechanism. I mean, COVID taught us a reinforcing example of that. And when everybody was freaking out about the impact of COVID, I was saying to myself and to my followers and readers, this is small change compared to what is being done with the hoax of uh, climate change. Wealthy people, powerful people, they want more money, they want more power, they want more fame, they want more notoriety. So no, it's not just money, it's, it's all of those in various combinations.
0: Mm-hmm. Just go back, going back to a science question, so often the environmentalists think that the feedbacks in nature are positive, so that whatever bad thing happens it's going to be accelerated, and get better, worse and worse. And yet, I understand that there's something called Le Châtelet's principle, and I'll just read the quote here as to what it is. It's the principle that when a stress is applied to a chemical system at equilibrium, the equilibrium will shift to relieve the stress. So that suggests, G, that in fact, in nature, most of the feedback is negative, that the earth is, as I say, returning Exactly.
3: Nearly all feedbacks in nature are either self-equalizing or negative. Mm -hmm. You cannot show me one positive feedback in the universe because that implies that you're making energy out of nothing, violating the very first principle and the second principle of thermodynamics.
0: Mm -hmm. Because the idea is that as it warms, you know, this is, I don't believe it, but this is what the environmentalists are expecting us to believe that there'll be obviously uh, an increase in evaporation, and the water vapor will cause an accelerated warming on top of the previous warming, and that this is where the problem lies. But when you ex- when you evaporate water, of course, you cause more clouds to form, which also cool the Earth. So it seems more likely to me that the net result of a slight warming, however it's caused, is going to be water vapor evaporating and bringing the planet back to where it was. Yeah, and,
3: and it cools the planet in two very different ways. Number mm-hmm. one, it reflects more of the sun's energy directly to space and therefore never reach the surface and warm it up. But just as importantly, when the water evaporated from the ground, it created heat. It's called latent heat of evaporation. And so NASA shows it going up the sky and really never going to outer space. But in reality, what happens is when that water vapor turns, reaches the right altitude barometric temperature condition and it finds some aerosols and I'm gonna come back to aerosols a little bit later. What it's gonna do is it's gonna condense it back into water and in the process, all that latent heat of evaporation is shot out immediately to space. Mm -hmm. So I've read several very well done papers that shows that clouds may be one of the most important cooling elements of the world. And where do clouds come from? Warm oceans.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Any warming then would be damped out by the evaporation, not accelerated
3: by evaporation and by uh, the uh, reflection of the clouds yeah it's an, mm-hmm. clouds have a net cooling effect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah i want to so. circle back to uh, something very quickly yesterday i published an article at americaoutloud.com where this uh, program is coming from describing the weakness of uh, of data in climate change and i compared it to the weakness in uh, data of the, the COVID situation around the world, pointing out that, that both of the issues have been uh, moved forward to control the population. There isn't any question about that. And although you know the data, the, the whole pandemic has been terrible, but it's been used the same way climate change has to control the population. And I made a decision at my age now of 86 That I'm uh, not likely to get on a cruise ship with a few thousand people anymore, especially after having had a terrible case. Having never had a doctor taking a prescription drug last October, had a bad case of uh, COVID. And uh, although I've jumped out of a plane fifteen hundred times and been riding a unicycle for years, I'm becoming a little more risk averse. And it was uh, neat to find out. And you mentioned that you're wife has one of the largest yacht rental companies around the world. Uh, The next time I'm I'm on the water for a week or so, it's going to be in one of your wife's wonderful boats and not with 2,000 people on a ship. So uh, that was uh, exciting for me to learn. But I'm I'm writing a follow-up article pointing out the similar ways that climate change has been used to control the population.
3: And it absolutely breaks my heart. If you recall, chapter eight of our book was essentially dedicated to the inhumanity being perpetrated among the most vulnerable people in the world to protect them from climate change. For example, look at the World Bank. It's controlled by the United Nations, all right? What they want to do, what they are doing, I should say, is they're restricting capital inflow into Africa to electrify it. They want to fund only wind and solar plants in Africa. Imagine the humanitarian impact that has. How are you going to run a hospital with wind power 24 hours a day? You can't, but you sure can with a coal-fired plant. This is where, you know, Alex Epstein really aligned me on the humanitarian misery caused by this hoax of climate change. Look at England. Oh, my God. 20% of the population is being recorded as being poor because of the energy costs. And what has England done? Well, England has been blessed with tremendous potential of fossil fuels from the North Sea, from the shale gas. And what did they do? They cut back on extraction of petroleum, and they prohibited fracking. So 2021 was a particularly bad year. They had a solar drought. Uh, I'm sorry, they had a wind drought throughout Europe. And by June, July, they had already consumed almost all of their reserves of natural gas. So, you know, they had to immediately start burning that natural gas to make electricity. At a time when they were reducing their production of gas. This also starved the fertilizer factory. Fertilizer factories all over England were either shut down or partially closed, you know, 50, 60, 70%, because they couldn't get the natural gas to make fertilizer. So, what happened in the fall, in the harvest season, the fall of 2021? The agricultural yields are going down the toilet and 2022 is even worse look at sri, sri lanka you know a beautiful example of a, a developing nation making great progress then they decided to go totally green solar and wind only and now we've seen food production bases collapse we're seeing their financial markets collapse the government has collapsed and the prime minister You know they have arrest warrants on them so yeah on a humanitarian scale never mind you know who's getting richer or poorer or what have you but the biggest losers in this climate change scam are the most vulnerable the poorest people in the world the one who can least afford it
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i was listening into a conference call of our opponents yesterday and they kept going on and on about social justice but then they're pushing policies that violate social justice, just like you described. I mean, it's, it's ironic. Yeah.
1: Do you see a, an end in sight? I'm, oh, I'm a leading optimist for a lot of reasons. The more optimistic you are, the more productive you can be in, in, in battling for a, a good versus evil. And if you hang your head and you're totally negative.
3: Yeah. I, Jay, I have never been more optimistic that, Sanity is returning and the truth is leaking out. You know, we have now the example of the energy crisis in Europe. It wasn't Russia. 95% of their problems was totally self-inflicted. So what has Europe been doing since January of this year? They have reclassified nuclear and natural gas as being sustainable, which is the same as solar and wind. This is so they can get the building permits and stop building those facilities as fast as they can. Mm -hmm. Germany, you know, the darling of the last 20 years of the green movement, they're going totally, they just made a total U-turn in the last six months. They're reopening coal plants that they had closed years ago. They're building new high-tech coal plants. They're issuing permits to start opening new coal mines. Germany even signed a, a contract with uh, Royal Dutch Shell of the Netherlands to start exploring for more oil and gas in the North Sea. Italy is trying to get together with Greece to drill for oil and gas in the uh, Adriatic. I see a huge turnaround in the making.
0: Mm-hmm. I find I the coal expansion actually Intriguing because, of course, coal stores, you know, very long time period of supplies right on site. So surely that's actually a very secure energy source in comparison with natural gas, which has to have a pipeline working pretty well all the time.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear what you just said. And I know our listeners have. And in recent months, I've been making uh, two predictions. One is that we're within three years of turning the corner in people, you know, waking up to the terrible things
3: others have been doing. I don't doing think we have three years, Jay.
1: Well, I, I'm trying not to go <laughs> overboard. My first data point will be the midterm election in this country. And if it turns out, as I think we will, the uh, more conservative side of the House of Representatives will take a 40 to 70 vote majority. So I'll have a, a solid data point there. And, yeah, I just... Being a little conservative in saying that within three years, most of the world will wake up. It's going to take a decade to work ourselves back to uh, all the damage that has been done along the way. But to hear you say what you just said about all the data that is also showing you that we're uh, turning the corner uh, has to be music to the ears of our listeners.
3: This winter is forecasted to be unusually cold. And that's expected, given the decline in solar magnetic activities. And Europe is in the worst shape. They're receiving one third of the natural gas from Russia than they were at the beginning of the year. Combine that with uh, a cold winter. Combine that with the time that it takes to build the infrastructure to receive the LNG from the U.S. and other sources into Europe. Europe's going to have a really, really tough test. Two prime ministers have already fallen because of their energy policies. It's being painted as other things, and I'm talking specifically the UK and Italy. So I think the political forces are going to be shaken at the root this winter, including the USA elections. But I think the bigger punch is going to come from Europe.
0: Mm -hmm. I wonder if we'll learn from that in time to avoid it ourselves.
1: You know, the damage has been done, and uh, Terry alluded to it early on, about the billions and billions of dollars that have been uh, wasted trying to control the temperature of the planet, which is patently absurd.
3: I Uh, wish you would use trillions and trillions. Oh, because when uh, okay. you include all of the green claptrap, CO two limiting stuff, you're talking trillions a year, not billions. Yeah,
1: yeah. it is amazing, and the mm. uh, the damage that it's done is is incredible. But as I said, I'm uh, I'm an optimist, and it's great hearing everything you, all the data you just spoke as far as Germany and the UK and all the things that are happening. It it just supports the fact that. We're going to be moving in another direction at long last. It's really taken us 30 years that these evil people have run roughshod over the population of the world only for money and power. You also said something that's fascinating, which I've always known, that uh, the richer people get, they have everything money can buy. The one thing they don't have is power, and they tend to become socialists.
3: Yeah, and those are two totally different things. The desire for power and the desire for money are separate desires. One's got nothing to do with the other.
1: Right, That's... but once you have everything money can buy, I found the, I find in the United States, the, the billionaires, kind of like the oligarchs in Russia, they have everything money can buy, and they the power then becomes their central theme. They want something exactly. to look for. They... Feel like they made so much money, they're, they're really smart, and if they ran the world, they would do it better. And of course, that is a, a false premise, but they become socialists because you can't have power through capitalism. Capital run correctly uh, does not allow terrible tyrants to come in and take over. Uh, of course, socialism and communism has always, you know, going back to the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917. But uh, I think when this is all over, and it might be 20 years when we come back to balance, the world actually will be a better place. But the damage that's been done with the trillions that have been spent and wasted is, is unbelievable.
3: It's, I would say, that the, not just the deaths, but the erosion of the quality of life. And when it comes to money and power and capital, I have no finer example of the worst creature on earth, and that would be Bill Gates. Hmm. Because on one side, he is helping to fund advanced nuclear technology because he knows the winds and solar things are just not, not an answer. And yet on the other side, he's against fossil fuels, which has been starving the fertilizer industry for the last year and a half. And he's buying up farms all over the place because the price of the farms, the land, is is falling like crazy because of the decreased productivity. So, if I would choose a poster child for climate change hypocrisy and greed for power and for money and for public influence, I would put Bill Gates right there.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's for sure and of course he flies all the, over the world in his private jets he's one of the biggest travelers that way <laughs> so he, yeah. he doesn't live he doesn't do what gandhi said gandhi said live simply so others simply may live i mean his philosophy and that of al gore seems to be do what i say not what i did not what i do <laughs> yeah you know? yeah so they're yeah. real hypocrites that's for sure
1: well this has been absolutely uh, fabulous terry i so excited about this discussion And I know Uh, Jay, uh, if I can
3: interrupt to add one other important point, going circling back to Quora. What I find most encouraging is that I get a lot of upvotes, uh, approvals, if you will, to my answers. And about 80% are coming from the younger ladies. Mm -hmm. And I still haven't wrapped my head around how that dramatic difference is shaping up or why or how, but it's noticeable. And I think it it will help bring the solutions you talk about. And it gives me more faith in uh, the next generation too.
1: Let me ask you a quick question. You mentioned uh, on Quora, a retired NASA person that really has blown the whistle on uh, the full state and the changing. If you've got a name that you could uh, send me, that is somebody I'd like to ask on the show as uh, quickly as possible, because we have not had anybody from NASA and it's only the retired people that can speak out and tell the truth. So if you could go backwards and uh, find an individual that fits let that me, uh, profile.
3: Yeah. Let me contact him and, uh, See if he's okay with me revealing that because you know, security, Understood. And personal information, and
0: all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So, we got to wrap up now. It's been an interesting conversation with Richie Ciccone, author, painter, engineer, and science enthusiast. And again, I highlight the book that he wrote with. Jay Lair. It's called A Hitchhiker's Journey Through Climate Change that we'll link to under the podcast when it goes on podcast on Monday. So, Sariji, thanks so much for being on the show with us today.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Okay, that's great. Well, this is Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris signing out from the other side of the story.